the things we all carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome to episode 78 of The Things We All Carry. Macklemore said, Music is therapy. Music moves people. It connects people in ways that no other medium can. It pulls heartstrings. It acts as medicine. Sarah Thrash is a Texan, a daughter, a sister, a fighter, and a survivor. Music is a passion and a therapy of sorts for her. Whether playing piano, listening to music as the sun sets, or sharing suggestions with strangers on Instagram, music moves her and helps heal her. I noticed her stories on Instagram and started following her suggestions and links to songs. I found it to be a wonderful foray into new music and artist. Little did I know that she also had a story to tell. Sarah has experienced numerous traumas and trials in her life. She's faced a long road to recovery from both emotional and physical injuries. She's determined to push on and not let the traumas define or defeat her. She'll be the first to tell you that in her life, the overarching theme is hope. That hope is as much for her as it is for the world around her. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy the show. doesn't help me in longevity or recovery so awful that sounds awful i was just like the world yeah all right so here we go ready ready all right well thank you for joining me today i have sarah thrash out of texas and i'm kind of the denton area um a little bit north north of fort worth you said correct yes all right so she uh i followed her on on instagram because i thought she had an interesting story about uh, an injury she she received and how she's recovered from that and then we talked i don't know how long ago was it sarah we had that conversation it's been a couple of weeks when we started i mean we're kind of going back and forth actually about music um because i would like post my spotify but yeah we had a conversation on the phone probably three Three or four weeks ago, maybe. And that turned into, I, I said, you know, plan for about a half hour, hour, and it turned into probably, um, what, two and a half hours? Something like that. Yeah. It just kept going. And it just kept going. And I was like, and, I, and, and as I find with most people, the story goes a lot deeper than what the surface is. And that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's obvious. I think that happens in real life all the time. So welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you grew up and where you grew up and, and what you want yeah. us all to know. How about that? It's, yeah, it's been unconventional. I know we've spoken about it before, untraditional. Um, I grew up, born and raised mostly in Texas. We lived briefly in Wyoming when I was a kid. Um, and I don't remember a whole lot of that other than just snow. Uh, but pretty much Texas my whole life. Um, kind of moved around a little bit. My dad was actually a preacher. And uh, so we lived right outside of Fort Worth when we were little. And then uh, my parents decided to kind of uproot us, move us out to the middle of Wise County, which is a little bit uh, further north and west of where I'm at right now. And uh, kind of 
how do I say this? Some major shifts in just kind of thinking and perspective. Um, life. Um, my dad stopped preaching uh, and uh, started, uh, actually started a landscape, like a irrigation company. And so that's, and that's what he's been doing ever since. But uh, it was a little bit unconventional. Um, my brother and I were actually homeschooled. I've got one brother. He's a year older than I am. Um, and so we were homeschooled the entire way through all the way from like pre-K kindergarten to graduating high school. Um, and so my mom, even though we were a year apart, my mom sped me up and slowed him down for us to be able to study together. It made her life easier and it made it easier for us. Um, and so we had, in terms of the quality of education, I absolutely would not change it. Um, we got a lot of, I don't know, I feel like, and I don't want to go off the reservation too much here, but I feel like you know, kids these days in school, they're not they're taught what to think, not necessarily how to think. Definitely. And my, my mom did a really good job just teaching us how to think, like just what makes the wheels turn? Why do you think that way? Um, we actually, I had a couple of this morning, we were just talking about this and like, how do you, how do you approach like debates or even just discussions with other people, you know, with the knowledge like, Hey, I'm, this person might be wrong about X, Y, Z, but I might be wrong too. Um, and like, how do you navigate that? And I feel like we don't um, see a lot of that in the world anymore. It's either uh, my way or the highway. So have you ever heard um, of a Jeffersonian conversation? Yes. So that's way, that's the way I would like to see conversations go. Hey, I'm going to make a point. If you just, <laughs> if you just want to hang, hang out and listen to my point and then we can discuss it when I'm finished, that'd be fantastic. But, but yeah. I just ask that you listen and be respectful of what we're going to say. And then we can discuss it. Then everyone gets a turn to discuss it. And then after that, you get to make your point and we get to discuss it. Yep. And, and I've, I, that's actually, that's the way this show almost happened. I, that's what I wanted to do originally for a podcast was a se series of Jeffersonian conversations. Oh. So t sidebar, talk about going off the reservation. I love that though. I love that. Though. That's awesome. Like, yeah, you have to have like the talking stick. Yeah, exactly. Would pa pass it virtually or something. I don't know. Something. But all right. So you were, you were homeschooled. Your dad was a, was a preacher for a while. Um, yeah. And do you want to, do you, I know that you, you talked about kind of, kind of talk about going off the reservation. He kind of went off the reservation with religion, correct? Um, I don't know that I would go that far. My parents got a hold of some more kind of right wing teaching. Um, and I don't want to get too into the weeds with that, but right. there were, uh, I'm trying to think of how to explain this in a way that it's going to make my struggle is like, I know, I know in my head, like how things looked, how they felt. Um, and this applies to my whole life so far. I'm like, I know what it was like, cause I was there, but how do I explain it to somebody who wasn't there? Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the Duggars, mm -hmm. like all the 20 and all that and everything that's happened, uh, more recently, um, with some, some interesting scandal um that they've had it was that teaching pretty much uh, and so they left kind of southern baptist life um we went more that direction my brother and i are just along for the ride we're just like okay um this is what we're doing now and uh just yeah it was it was strange um 
I, and when I, when I say this, I don't mean it in a bad way. I feel like everybody, everybody does the best that they can with what they have to work with. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, that's just how it is. Sometimes it's nobody's fault, you know, it's not right or wrong. It just is. But, um, they kind of alienated their family, both sides, um, just in this need to like be right, um, about whether it was the teaching theology, everything that went with it and kind of our whole, our whole lives, our family unit, everything kind of revolves around that. And so, um, it was just a weird time Um, it was a weird time to be a kid kind of caught in the middle of that. And, uh, I remember growing up um, dealing with looking back what was undiagnosed depression. Um, I, I'm really introverted and I'm really shy. Um, so I don't make friends super easy. Um, and that was kind of on top of that. I always wound up hanging out with my brother and his friends. Um, and to this day, I actually, I get along better with guys than I do with girls. I think because of that, um, they're just more comfortable and they're not going to bullshit you. Um, but anyway, it was just, it was a strange, strange time, some strange teaching, a lot of weird stuff going on, um, kind of in that church group. I would go so far as to call it a cult. Um, trying to think of like how to say this, how to like talk about this and not like ruffle too many feathers, but also tell it like it was. Um, yeah, it was just, it was really strange and kind of off color. And then the older we got, the more in high school we got, um, my brother actually found the fire service through a junior program with the volunteer department kind of out where we lived. Um, and it was real, it was pretty bare bones. It was pretty small, but like there was nothing like the nearest actual fire department was like 10, 15 miles away. Um, so, uh, they were taking, and I don't, I don't know if it was like a year round thing or a summer thing. But they were taking junior volunteers. And I think with that, like you couldn't actually go in, you couldn't drive any apparatus and you couldn't go into like any structures. Um, but grass fires, there were a lot of them. Um, you could go just like learn and get, and especially like out where we live, it was really rural, um, really low income. And so it was a way to kind of reach out to the community and get some kids involved, especially maybe some that might have later been tempted to maybe go down a bad road. I don't know if for lack of a better word, um, to kind of give him some purpose. And my brother found that and it was like, whoa, he had purpose. Like this is what he was going to do. And so uh, I remember being like 15, 16 and always being kind of jealous of that because I didn't grow up and have that purpose or that direction. Um, kind of the thinking was uh you know girls girls are really just meant to like be you know stay-at-home wives and moms like they're not supposed to have jobs or uh, do stuff like outside the house you know let alone a career um and so that's kind of just what i always assumed my life would end up like and so i never really thought oh i could be a firefighter too or i could go do anything i wanted to um just that wasn't even on the radar but uh he found that we actually moved um, I guess probably junior year in high school. Um, and the v other volunteer department in that community, they took him on. They didn't even have a junior program, but they took him on. 
Um, he was 17, and I think the minimum age to volunteer there was 18. Um, but they took him on, and they actually got a grant to send him to the fire academy. Um, the, there was one in area, it was like just starting. He was literally, he was class three. Um, and they got a grant to send him through that and through EMT. Here you have to be at least EMTB um, to get your firefighter. And so he did that. He kind of sped up his senior year um, studying to go do that. And I'm like, oh, what about me? Um, so it was kind of a weird time to be kind of lost and stuff. Um, I wound up dating a guy and uh, I don't really want to get into a lot of that. It did not turn out well. Um, it did not turn out well. And so I kind of went down a bad road with that, um, making some mistakes, making some pretty, pretty shit choices as a 17 year old kid and uh yeah wound up just getting the snot beat out of me um and finally I was able to come home and uh, I was able to get a hold of my mom and say hey look like I super I like have completely wrecked like I need help I need to get out um and so she brought him and then after that I was like really eerily fine um all things considered and uh yeah just I didn't know that I had everything that I had experienced like um emotional verbal abuse physical abuse I didn't know that I had just taken all of that and just shoved it down and uh was like really like looking back really like eerily fine um considering what I just been through and uh, I remember sitting I started going to church with my brother and my sister-in-law he just gotten married uh, I remember going to church with them and that was probably one of the reasons that I didn't wind up in any worship I did coming out of that but we were sitting at lunch after with a couple of friends of ours and uh, one of them was an off-duty cop. And uh, my abuser found us and like came in. He was like making a scene, um, demanding that I go back with him, all this stuff. So, and our friend who was a off-duty officer, he got up, he put himself between me and this person. And he was like, bro, you got to leave. Like right now, you got to go. And uh, that stuck with me for a very long time. Um, just that he didn't have to do that, but he was in the right place at the right time. Had a heart to do that. And uh, a few years later, I actually, I, it, not in small part due to that, uh, decided to go into law enforcement. And, uh, can I, can I go back and ask you a couple of questions? Yeah, absolutely. You, you mentioned and you kind of, and maybe you purposely did it. You kind of glossed over undiagnosed depression when you were a child. Yes. So how do you, how do you quantify or qualify that? And, and why do you, why do you say that? Um, I think, well, I just remember, I remember being sad all the time and not knowing why. And, uh, being punished or being sad all the time. 
and not knowing why. Um, I don't think it even registered. And then again, I, actually, I was talking to my mother about this this morning while we were having coffee. Um, they didn't see, like, I don't know. Emotion, the older I get, the more I try to, like, understand myself and how all this ties in, how trauma, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be an event. It can be a, just a set of things that eventually your brain and body stop being able to handle them or process them or they start taking them on and that's where you start running into problems but uh, I just remember being a kid and being sad all the time being told to just send out of it like just having a bad attitude be happy um and I'm like gee why didn't I think of yeah, that just be happier oh good really totally I'll I'll fix that right up and uh you know that's nobody's fault like they didn't know um, but looking and some of that just comes down to an awareness too. I'm um, like, we don't realize sometimes we look at little kids and we don't realize like how our actions affect them. Like I even look, I even think about, I've got a niece and a nephew, they're three and five. And like, I tend to be really, really sarcastic. Um, I've got a really dry, really dark sense of humor. And I have to remind myself, like, hey, don't use that with them because they, they're they not old enough yet. And I don't want to discount, like, they're so smart. But I'm like, they're not old enough to, like, understand how sarcasm works. Um, they will. They'll get there. But I'm like, they don't, you don't need to use that with them. And so, like, we don't, sometimes we don't realize, I think, how, how what we do affects our kids um, and our yeah, just, it was, and just life circumstances. And it was, it wasn't anybody's fault. Um, but the solution was not that simple. Um, and I mean, I don't, there was all kinds of stuff I started having because we moved, we moved our, everything kind of was, uh, turned upside down about the time we were maybe nine, eight or nine, nine and 10, maybe. And, uh, that was when I started having all kinds of like autoimmune stuff, um, like metabolic, um, feeling sick, kind of like almost or lethargic, like chronic fatigue, um, weight gain, like I had all kinds of skin issues, my hair started falling out, like all of this stuff was happening and there wasn't really anything to attribute it to other than um, like maybe genetics or something. My mom was like, yeah, I remember having stuff like that, but I was like in my 20s and 30s. And I'm like, well, why am I 10 and having it? And just the older I get and the more I've learned about trauma itself, um, and actually a really good friend of mine who is a, he's an autoimmune, um, he's a doctor actually. Um, and we met at the gym, but he works with a lot of people, um, dealing with, uh, thyroid disease specifically, which actually I do have. Um, but he's like your childhood. He's like, usually there's a reflection there. Um, some kind of upheaval or something changing a shift and the appearance of all of these physical symptoms. Which makes sense because like you can't separate brain and body. They work off of each other. And so like if you're struggling with your mental health, your physical health is probably going to take a dive and or vice versa. Um, and just like we were speaking a little bit earlier, it's hard to like you can look at somebody with a broken arm um, or you can look at somebody who's 
got a disease and you can be like, yeah, like that, I see that, like that sucks that, you know, that looks painful. Um, you know, that looks tough to navigate. Like you're somehow incapacitated and it's like, well, why don't we treat mental health the same way? Um, just there's still, I know it's changing, but there's still like this, uh, maybe it's cause it's not easy to see. Um, there's still this like stigma around it, but just as a kid, I was like, and I was told, um, just like we were talking about, you know, just because your trauma or your pain, what happened, doesn't look like mine or yours is what society, society deems worse, um, doesn't discount, doesn't negate the fact that the person next to you is, you know, going through something and it's not going to look the same. Um, but it doesn't, you know, cancel it out or it doesn't make it any less like that's their fight and it doesn't mean that they're not fighting it. Um, but, you know, I was always told as a kid, um, just being sad and not knowing why struggling to just function. Um, you know, hey, you've got so much to be grateful for, like you snap out of it, like people have it worse than you. And I get that. That's absolutely true. Um, but yeah, it's it's not quite that simple. You know, I have something in my notes and, and I kind of wanted to hit on it because I think it's important how we have different ways of, of finding happiness, even when we're down. And I, yeah. I've written down Chronicles of Narnia for you. Yes. Um, so that is one of the, one of the few happy, just like truly just happy. Like there's nothing else associated with it, but just joy. Um, was being homeschooled, like we didn't have to be like sitting at a desk from nine to three or whatever. To, I'm sure it's longer than that these days. Um, but like we had some structure for a day, but every morning you get up and, uh, my mom likes to read. She always has, but, uh, we get up and just kind of while we were waking up, we'd be real quiet in the morning and, uh, she would read to us and that was she read, I mean, it was all kinds of books. And this is over years and years. It was fiction, nonfiction, everything. But she read us uh, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis when we were probably seven and eight. Uh, and I remember, like, they're fairy tales. They're awesome. Like, this is great. Um, but I remember just watching her experience those as an adult. And later... She said, those books, a lot of Lewis is right, but those books, she said, turned my world from black and white to color. And I remember that I hung on to that. I forgot it for a long time. I forgot that she even said that. And I forgot. I, or I guess I didn't understand the sequence of that. But um, yeah, that was just one of the really few like happy memories. And the older I get, the more I read because I like to read too especially if it's anything banned or out of print um but even like reading lewis's uh, space trilogy um i think i read that in high school and i remember having the conscious thought i am sad as i read this book as i finish this book because not because of the story not because of anything that's particularly significant in it i'm sad because i'm never going to be able to read it again for the first time and I still get that with books from time to time. Uh, 
just, I would, what I would give to be able to go back and experience Narnia as an adult, like she did, like that would probably just, my head would probably explode. Um, but yeah, that was one of our, that was one of our few kind of just really, truly just happy, um, experiences that we had. And, uh, I can, like, I feel bad for kids that don't get that. Cause like, how awesome is that? You know, your mom you know, just wants to read you books and, you know, you get you, I feel like with books or not books, or like just we're constantly bombarded and like overstimulated with media and like, you don't get to like, just build this imaginary world in your head that you do, like when you read a book and you try to picture it, you know, it's, it's special. Did, have you ever talked to your mom about the, the black and white to color comment and, and ask her to kind of because oh, yeah. I'm oh, curious yeah. about it. And, and I think you got a tinge of that yourself from some of that. So what, what did she, how did she describe that in more in depth? Just, I mean, the whole, the whole thing and it's not, and I feel, and she'll straight up admit, she's like, you know, as Christians, we struggled with like symbolism. And I mean, the whole, the entire series is just a giant allegory. And, but there's not any, there's not any one character or one theme that specifically ties to like one character or one theme in all of history um, or all of Christianity. Um, and so you, it's, it's tough to not try to take it literally. Um, yeah, it's tough not to try to take it literally or to try to say this is, you know, this equates to this or this character equates to, you know, Christ or anything. Um, but it's so, I don't know, it just, it makes it so simple. Um, my favorite has always been the first book in the series, but the older I get, it's actually the last book in the series, which is, it's depressing as hell. Like, it is, like, the end of the world, like, bad shit is happening. It is depressing as all get out. Um, but they step through this door at the end where, like, it is it is literally the world is ending. The world is on fire. And it all goes away. And every everything that they've endured all of the everything that's gone before is over and the book actually ends i think it says now at last they were beginning the greatest story they're the first chapter of the greatest story that's ever told that goes on forever and every chapter is better than i don't know it's just it's there's so much symbolism there um, and I think for me, it's just because it's nostalgic too, because that was such a part of our childhood. Um, but the black and white to color, I didn't understand what, I forgot that she'd ever said that. And I didn't understand uh, only until last year as an adult, uh, I went to actually take a and enter the physical agility and entrance for fire department. And uh, it was just, there was a lot of stuff swirling around with testing for that place in particular. And uh, I was just thinking about all the people that have pulled up alongside, like as I've gone from, you know, early lives, childhood, 
every everything that's happened since everything that has ever happened that's gotten me right here um and just thinking about the people that i am just doing life alongside and i'm I'm, i had this moment where i was like that's it that's what they've done they have turned the world from black white to color and i'm like i get it now i just i don't know that it made it made sense. It's another one of those things, like I'm trying to figure out how to explain this to somebody who wasn't there. It's like you had to be there. Um, but yeah, I guess just the symbolism and just, it's so, it's so simple if we let it be. It really is. Like we, we overcomplicate and we overanalyze things and people and life. And it's just, it is so simple if we let it be. The other thing I want to touch back on is the autoimmune. Because yes. I think it's interesting the point you make about your autoimmune, and and I know you you've stated as you started to tell your story here that you didn't want to get too much into the to the boyfriend, and I'm not going to. I'm I'm going to stay away from what we talked about, so I'll respect that. But I, I do want to I do want to make the point that that once you got out of that situation, oh, how not how, really. how that how that recovery started for you with that with that sleeping and with that that stringing thoughts together and the, and what you found with the autoimmune. Yes. Um, so I, during that whole situation and just as it deteriorated over time, um, I found myself getting sicker and sicker. I knew I was depressed. Like I hadn't been diagnosed or anything, but I knew I was depressed, but I was real foggy and I couldn't lose weight. And it was just, it was, there was a lot of stuff happening. Um, and like to look back, there's a few pictures still from that time. And I'm like, oh my God, I like, I, I looked ill. Like it's horrifying, but I came home finally, um, was able to get out of that. And I had, I had a notebook where I said, document everything, like every altercation for lack of a better word. Um, I had been able to write it down I actually kept it like stashed like in between like the seats in my car um so that he would find it um and I just written everything down so I was like I know I'm probably gonna be going to court or something over this at some point and I just I want to be prepared but um I remember the day I came home I sat down at my mom's kitchen table I handed her that book filled in some gaps and I just went to bed um the best way I can describe it is it's like the scene in Forrest Gump where Jenny finally comes home as she's just sleeping, sleeping, sleeping. So that was me for like two weeks straight. Uh, I would get up to get water. I would get up to pee. Um, I didn't eat a whole lot and I was afraid to shower for a long time. Uh, but when I finally like got up and was moving around again, like probably 80, 90% of all of that stuff was just gone. Like, it's incredible what removing yourself from such an awful environment can do. Um, it's, it's bizarre. And like I said, I was like really eerily fine considering everything that had just happened. But uh, I think a lot of that too was my brain blocked it out, um, which is I guess a good thing it it does that and I've learned since and in other respects it does that to survive mm-hmm. um just because it is so overwhelmed um like the all of your like neural pathways everything is just so overwhelmed with like 
the ordeal that you've just been through on this, like, all right, we got to, we got to like find a way around this roadblock just to keep functioning. And so with that, um, I blocked a lot of it out. And like to this day, I remember bits and pieces. Um, and like, there's some things, some specific things that I can call to mind, but like, I don't, a lot of it is really fuzzy. It's almost kind of like third person, like, was that even me to sit here and think about it? Um, but yeah, like a lot of the physical, the metabolic stuff was gone um, or at least significantly reduced. Like I had been on, I had been diagnosed with thyroid disease, like through all of that. And I had been on medication for it. And my doctor was like, you don't need this anymore. Like, do you want to get off of it? I'm like, yes, I want to get off of it. Let's, let's not take this anymore. Um, and like, I haven't taken it since it's been probably seven years. Um, but yeah, it's just, it is insane. The body's ability to recover, but that's been part of the struggle. Like just my brain blocking things out. That's been part of this struggle, um, or was not realizing that I actually had post-traumatic stress disorder because I didn't have a specific event to tie it to. I didn't have, I couldn't point to one specific thing and be like, yes, this is what caused that or it's the root issue. Um, And it's the same with all of the autoimmune, the metabolic stuff, because I didn't have one specific event um, or circumstance to tie it to. It's just, it's like this soup. It's like this perfect storm of stuff. And so I didn't actually, I didn't realize that until probably within the last few months. Um, Again, talking to my friend who works specifically with uh, women with autoimmune stuff um, and especially surrounding trauma. Um, Justin is excellent, but he's helped me kind of understand like, hey, all of this ties together. Like none of this is isolated. You can't just cherry pick one and you know have it and especially like um all of the physical stuff that i manage on a boat um with lifestyle with you know making sure that i've got outlets for stress all that stuff um if i start neglecting you there yeah i'm here all right (laughs) i lost you for a second i don't know if that was my internet or yours but I, i definitely lost you for a second um all right. So you said you, you, you found ways to manage for the autoimmune. If the, you found your ways to manage your stress. Yeah. And you were talking about your, your, your friend from the gym and how it kind of explained to you that that's, that that's typical, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot more common than we think. Um, and that makes sense. Cause I actually, I know a lot of people that have autoimmune and they just, they add and add and add and add and add, um, to their regimen, to whatever they're taking for it or doing for it. And I did that for a long time. It was just, oh, let, let me see Let me try this. Let me try, you know, mix it. what happens if I, and if anything, you have to pare down. Um, to think more in terms of subtraction rather than addition. And I've seen that in my own life um, with everything. I mean, I kind of did 180 where I was like, I'm going to, you know, do all these things and, you know, go all these places. And I'm like, I'm going to see what I'm going to get rid of everything I possibly can that I don't have to have in my routine, in my life, just simplify. And the problem though with simplifying, and I think this is where a lot of people don't, they kind of stop short because they don't want to sit with it is 
when you don't have all this other stuff like distracting you and taking up all the your bandwidth for lack of a better word you actually have to sit with all of your shit and people don't want to do that no um no people don't it's so uncomfortable um and that's been the last probably six seven eight months just in my own mind um is like having to actually work through all of this stuff um and i don't remember if i told you i go through a period of time every about every year and it's been ever since all of that happened and um, i have about a three-month stretch of time where i really don't sleep and uh figured out that it has to do with a lot of the uh, a lot of what happened during that chapter of my life with the abuse and whatnot um it wasn't safe to sleep and so i still even though mentally i have processed that and let it go physiologically uh, it's still working its way out um i don't know if you've ever read the books body keeps the score but it's like we take all this stuff when we take it on we store it in our organs in our tissues um and then you know you're you've got a whole other set of stuff happening as your brain tries to like work through it and work it out um and i completely forgot where i was going (laughs) that's okay um i I, and the body the body keeps a score is is one of those books that that i've talked about a a few times on the show and it's been suggested as a book a, a few times and and it is it's fascinating how they you think about this this emotional and mental trauma and how it manifests itself in a physical uh, in in the body and and it's it it kind of you kind of discount it until you read something like that. Yeah, and then you're like, oh my god, everything makes sense. Right. Um, like I know, um, it's leading up to after um my injury. I've gotten a lot of, I get a lot of body work done um, just to be able to do all the crazy CrossFit shit that my training partner comes up with. Um, Just to be able to recover from that and keep doing that and keep improving at it. Um, But I have processed more stuff on the table, like getting it worked. I have felt it leaving my body. It is insane. But that to me has been, for me rather, has been more effective than talk therapy ever was. Or even then, because uh, I did a lot of EMDR. Um, it's been more effective than EMDR. Um, the EMDR was really helpful figuring out because I was stuck in sympathetic in fight or flight. And the EMDR was really helpful in like, hey, let's switch on your parasympathetic. Like, let's get you back to that so that you know you can get back to that. And I remember the first time I was like, what in the F is this? Yeah. Um, like, this is how people exist. What? Like, you don't have to be like sitting like there's an elephant sitting on your chest all the time. What is this? Um, but actually working on it more like somatically, like with the body work with, I don't know, there's a different healing that happens there. Um and for me in particular, that's been more effective um, than dealing so much with the mental side of it. And that's been part of the problem. Like I said, I didn't even know I had PTSD until several years later because I didn't have one specific thing to tie it to. Or like if I would have, um, I had a stretch of time where I actually had some pretty bad episodes with it. 
And I was like, what is happening? It's like being, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like visceral. It's like being possessed. Like, I, I don't even, it's like lizard, lizard, some, it's wild. But I'm like, I don't have mentally, I don't have anything to tie this to. But it was, I think it was happening because my body hung on to that and was reacting even years later um, when it felt threatened and it just, it takes over. And I mean, you can't separate them. And that's the hard part. And that's the part that people don't necessarily, they might not even know that that's a piece in the puzzle, but sometimes even if they do, they don't want to face that um, and have to work through it because there's no way around it. Um, you can manage it, but unless you actually get through to the issue and literally work it out, um, that's just going to keep dogging you. So let's go back to, all right, you, 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 you get to, you get away from this boyfriend, you go home, you sleep, you can yes. start this recovery process. And that's, is that the, is that right around 2017, correct? Yes. Okay. And that's when you find what, what helps you? Is it the strength training that helps you? Is it the, what is it that you find that you latch onto? Uh, it was the strength training mostly. Um, I got uh, my, actually my trainer certification, I um, started working in gym and because that was one thing I had started going to a gym while I was still in that situation. Um, and it was the one outlet I had. It was the one like kind of safe place for lack of a better word that I had. And uh, I knew it was good for me. Like I knew all the health benefits and whatnot. Um, but I had been fortunate to have really good trainers um, who were, you know, sticklers about form, make sure we did everything right, make sure that you were progressing, yada, yada. And I was like, I'm going to do that for other people. And uh, so I started working in a gym. It was actually just the closest one to my house. Um, that's how I found it. But um, it was real old school, like every like old school power lifter. Like you walk in, you're like, there's a solid chance I might get tetanus here, which is <laughs> what I looked. Um, like if I don't have, I don't want your shiny new shit. Like that's what I want. Uh, but I started working there and uh, my boss, uh, he's in his seventies and he's a, like a world record power lifter and still power lifting. Um, and I remember she taught me to deadlift and just as a, as a not large woman and as a not large woman has been through some shit. There's nothing like ripping a dead weight off the floor and knowing that nobody helped you. Like you did that. Um, just feeling like you can over having this like tangible obstacle to overcome. And so I enjoyed that. It was really kind of healing, kind of cathartic for me. Um, I was able to channel, I think, a lot of the people everything that was swirling around in my head that I didn't really even know what it was, but I was there. I was able to channel a lot of that into lifting, um, but also into working with people. And, uh, you know, anybody can stand over you and say, all right, this is what we're going to do. Um, make you do it. Hey guys, quick break right here just to check in and thank each of you for listening to the show. Your support has been paramount and I appreciate all of you. I have one request though. I need you to share the show with everyone you know. Help me get the word out and spread these stories as far and as wide as we can. While you're at it, please leave a review of the show wherever you happen to listen. Feel free to reach out to me at any time to share your story, to talk, or to pass on suggestions. 
let's get on with the rest of the show. Um, over the years, so I kind of shifted from just doing that from training, actually teaching like, Hey, this is why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, but actually I would have people long enough that I would develop rapport relationships with them. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've stood in the middle of a gym and cried with one of my ladies who lost her husband or, you know, somebody who's having a really shitty day with chronic pain. Um, one of my ladies, she'd had a stroke. Um, and she wasn't hardly any older than I was, but she had a stroke and like we bonded over, Hey, we can't feel the left sides of our bodies. Uh, you know, but, and then too, like knowing uniquely how to do, how to work with that. Um, just because it was something that I'd experienced, um, people with, you know, autoimmune chronic stuff, just like, you know, I'm, I'm an hour out of their day, but you know, they can, they, they can be confident in what they're doing in here. They do more than they ever thought they could. And they're going to carry that outside. Um, so that was the first, that was my first, like, I don't the first time I ever felt like I truly had purpose, like something or like, Hey, I'm doing something to help somebody else outside of myself. That sounds really shitty to say. Um, but I mean, I think that's what all of life is for is if we're just in it for us, then we're not going to be fulfilled. And that was my first like taste of, I can actually make a difference for somebody else here um, and just do it. In, but the street in my notes, oh. I, I haven't, I have a note about your purpose of life. Um, well, that was the first, that was the first like taste of that I ever had. I'm like, uh, you know, I can like just a shred of somebody's day, um, to either make it better. Like we, we'd have a joke, like we're, you know, we're sometimes we feel like therapists just cause people put all their shit on us. Um, but sometimes they just need somebody to talk to or somebody to say, hey, it's going to be okay. Like, I know it's hard, but hey, like, you're going to go lift this thing. You can do hard things. Like, it's going to be okay. And then to watch their confidence that they get as they um, work through that. But yeah, that was that was my first real taste of purpose. Uh, and when, when you mentioned it to me, you said the purpose of life is to give it away. What do you mean by that? Um, that's something I don't know. I don't know where that quote came from originally. That was something that uh, was said to me by somebody who's very important in my life, a firefighter. And uh, I think the whole, the whole quote is the meaning of life is to find your gift and the purpose of life is to give it away. And I think it comes, I think it comes down to selflessness um all in all like no you're not you're not doing whether it's you know looking out for somebody whether it's holding the door for somebody whether it's giving somebody hope when they're at the absolute ringing end of their rope that's what we're here for is and not because we're going to get anything out of it not because there's anything to gain but that's I mean, that's love is what that is. It's service, it's compassion, it's love. Um, and I think that's what we're here for. And that was the strength training, the teaching, that was the first like taste of that I'd ever had. 
Um, but the the older I get, the more people that I, you know, kind of come up alongside. Uh, you can tell the ones who really live that. Um, and a lot of times they're not, they're not the front runners. They're not the ones, or like I look at my, I look at my brother and uh, he just got yesterday, he just got awarded uh, firefighter of the year for his whole department. And I watch him and actually I had the conscious thought, I, I need to be like him. Um, Cause he is the quietest, the quietest person you'll ever meet, but he just has this quiet in the background, just servant heart, just doing his best and trying to give that to the people that need it the most. And um, he gives his life away and he does it very well. And I don't know, I think we should all stand to be more like that. So you, you decided to be a cop. I did. Yes. How does that come about? Um, actually my best friend, we trained together. We were joined at the hip. We did everything together. She, she'd been thinking about it for a while. And I remember when she actually brought it up, she's like, Hey, this has just been like on my heart and on my mind for a while. I was like, what? It was like really out of left field. But then she explained like, you know, this has been something that I've always thought about. And I finally feel like at a point in my life where I'm ready to do it. Um, and so I watched, I watched her do it. Um, two other really good friends of mine um, had recently gone or were going into law enforcement as well. And I just, I watched the three of them kind of navigate that whole experience. But I watched my, my girlfriend especially. And I watched how she, she found herself through that. She found, you know, we, we go through life and we're searching for the thing, right? The thing. And she found it. And it was really cool to watch that whole experience from getting hired to going through the academy to going to FTO to being out on her own. It was really cool to watch just how that kind of shaped her. Um, how it shaped her, how it grew her, uh, and to watch her give her life away. And I thought, well, if she can do it, I can do that. And uh, going back to the incident in the restaurant with my friend who was a cop and physically putting himself in front of me. And I had... I was like, if I can, if I have the chance to do that, if I can be in the right place at the right time to be able to do that for somebody else, or if I can be the person that I needed when I was too scared to call for help, um, why wouldn't I? Why would I do that? So I got in uh, to a department in the north of Dallas. Um, I had heard that it was really hard to get hired by them. Um, it wasn't hard, but they were pretty, I don't know. I don't want to dwell too much on that. Um, it was not, it was a rude awakening. Um, I was not, I was not prepared. And I had taken almost a year to kind of mull it over, like really make sure that this is what I wanted to do. I was kind of torn between police and fire. 
Um, and in the end, I decided to go police for a lot of reasons. Um, and it, it was, it was a rude week. I was not as prepared as I could have been or should have been mentally or physically. Um, and I mean, that's on me. Like I can't, that was a hundred percent on me, but, uh, it was very, I don't know. The culture was very negative. Um, and there was a lot of really kind of politically charged stuff happening right about that time too. And it just didn't help. Um, but I think a lot of it came down to lack of self-awareness. I did not realize that I am a fixer. If there is a problem, not that, you know, officers are going in and stirring the pot. They're not, I mean, they're, they're, they're just to do their job. They're, they're just trying to make the world a little bit better. Uh, and I have nothing but respect for that, but I'm a fixer. And if there's a problem, all I wish to do is just go make it better. Like, I don't want to have to be wading into that shit, trying to decide, okay, you know, did, did, uh, did mom's shitbag boyfriend, uh, you know, put these cigarette burns here, like that kind of stuff. That was, I remember that vividly. Um, you know, just, I, I just, I just want to fix. And I did not know that about myself or understand that about myself. And so it was mentally, it was not the right place to be. Um, for that reason, there was some other stuff happening. Um, and in the middle of all of that, I started really struggling with depression and anxiety, um, with post-traumatic stress, not knowing that it was there or that I could even have it, not knowing what it was. Um, and so I started really struggling. Um, I had a uh, neck injury that could have been avoided. Um, and after that, I was like, something isn't right. Like, I don't feel right. Um, I had a headache for like three months straight after that. And then, um, the incident with her, my brain, which I took an elbow to the face. Um, right. I'm, I'm very fortunate to still have my left eye. Um, but after that, I shook it off, um, was like kind of stunned for a second. I shook it off and um, kept working. And then the next day, uh, I was sitting at a stoplight that I sat at every single day and completely forgot where I was, had no idea where I was. Um, and after that, it became very, very obvious very quickly that I could not do my job. And that's the truth. I could not do my job. And so for her, it was kind of, I don't know, I was pretty bummed to be out of my ass um, without the career that I had given ostensibly everything for. Um, but I mean, that's the reality is I could not do my job in the shape I was in. So it is what it is. And you, you say, that was, you, 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 you let, you minimize that little, little head injury. And her, well, and see, that's part of it is I didn't even know what it was. Right. I, I actually, I went to specialists. I went to, I'm like, what's wrong with me? Um, I actually went to neurologists for the headaches. Um, I believe the day it happened, like right before and, or no, right after, um, I had a, I already had an appointment and she was like, yeah, I think you have a concussion. This is one of like the most well-respected neurologists in North Texas. 
And she's like, yeah, I think you have a concussion. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, I had concussions before. Like, this is not a concussion. But I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, But very, very quickly, I started, um, I was in a lot of pain. Um, The best way, my nervous system felt like it was on fire. Um, I don't really know how else to describe it. Like, kind of stripped wiring feeling. But I was having trouble seeing trouble speaking not like um remembering word you know like you walk into a room you forget why you're there like not like oh what's that word I'm trying to think of. no i i would know what i needed to say like I could have a sentence perfectly formed in my head and i would not be able to get it out like whatever needed to fire between here and here to make that happen couldn't um so i was having trouble speaking um i lost a lot of motor control in my hands like to hold a pen um was very challenging, let alone anything else like requiring any kind of dexterity. Um, but I had everybody, they're like, yeah, man, we don't know what's wrong with you. Like nothing's really showing up on x-rays, like with your neck or anything. Like we don't really know what's wrong with you. I had one doctor that was just like, yeah, you're just going to feel like shit for probably a year or so. Just kind of wrap your mind around that. Um, and I was like, something is wrong with me. I don't know what it is, but it's not going to, I don't know. I, kind of started spiraling thinking that it wasn't ever going to get better um because and that's the thing too is like with head and neck pain i found like low back you know knee whatever i can deal with it but i think because it's just right here all the time and like there's no escaping it um was pretty i think that was rock bottom (laughs) um and i don't say that lightly like even more than like coming on out of abuser situation like that after my brain injury was rock bottom in large part because I didn't know what it was or that something like everyone was telling me um you can take like super expensive pain meds or like there's nothing wrong to your crazy like there's there and so that was a low point it's a really low point um and I think I don't even think it had been a month and I got a message I was back at my old job teaching um, just because I was the only thing I knew how to do. And uh, even doing that, though, like half the job is talking. The other half the job is uh, manual labor, essentially. And so I'm like, well, I can't use my hands. Like, I can't talk. I can't communicate. Um, So there were a lot of hurdles with that. And I just, I remember having the feeling of every time I give everything I have, it's not good enough or it's not enough. Um, and that was just, that was really loud, that feeling. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I didn't know what else to do. But I think maybe like three weeks later, because um, I went back like immediately um, to to coaching. And I got a, I got like a Facebook message from the coordinator or the lead instructor rather for the fire academy that brother had gone to. Um, and it's been around for six, seven, eight years at this point. And he said, your fire academy is still waiting patiently. We started January. And I was like, what? I don't know. I don't know. Like, there's no way. He's like, well, I'd like to sit down and just talk about it. You can ask any questions you might have. 
you know, tell me what's up, but I want to talk to you about it. And so I showed up to the fire academy at the time was actually held in a working fire station. Um, I showed up to station two. I think it was, it was a Tuesday. It was October 6th of 2020. Um, and we sat out on that bench outside. And I just, I laid it all out there, what I had just been through life leading up to that point. And he already knew, like, we'd been acquaintances for a long time. So he kind of already had some of the pieces fit together. But I was like, this is what I've just done and gone through. And like, I still had like a bruise and whatnot. Sure. And he's like, I understand that. That sucks. I'm sorry. This is how it's going to be different. And he just, he didn't bullshit me. He didn't try to sell it or anything. He's like, this is how it's going to be different. And I walked away from that knowing that, number one, if I didn't do it right, then I wouldn't do it. Um, but that I was going to give it everything I had, which wasn't much. I didn't have a whole lot left, but I knew that whatever I had, it was going to go there. And so that was knowing that that was coming up. I had like three months, not even to get ready physically and mentally. Um, so that was when I first went to the psychiatrist and was diagnosed with anxiety, depression, PTSD. Um, I started meds for that, which in retrospect, I would maybe do differently. Um, but I was like, this isn't about, that was when that day flipped the switch. I was like, holy shit, this isn't about me anymore. This is about all the people that I'm going to go through this experience with. And I don't even know who they are yet, but. I need to be at my best for them because I know I'm going to need them to be at their best for me. And so that was the catalyst, if you will, to actually getting some help. Um, and then physically, there wasn't, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot I could do other than work on cardio. Um, just because I was already having so much like trouble with my hands, all those like the functional stuff. Um, like I know, when I first started, I would spend over three minutes on the Kaiser sled. Even when it was like super greased, like sheen of oil, um, I'd be on there for a while. But uh, academically, uh, didn't struggle. Um, I think I made up for it because I struggled so much physically. Um, but about... Probably about three quarters of the way through, it started getting really, like the physical stuff started getting like really bad. Um, and so a friend of mine who has had some like neck and neck and head stuff over the years, she's like, hey, here's a doctor. I don't know if he'll be able to help you, but he's helped me. Um, he kind of thinks outside the box a little bit. This guy's a chiropractor. Um, but I went to see him because I'm like, I will try anything at this point. And uh He's looking at me. He's like, yeah, I've worked through like the VA. I've seen like vets who have like been in in a stand and like falling off the sides of mountains and shit. And he's like, I've never seen anything like this. I was like, great, thanks. That makes you feel good as a yeah. patient. But uh, he's like, you know, I'll, it, he, he enjoyed puzzles. And he's like, you're a puzzle. I'm going to figure you out. Um. And he did like a cervical manipulation that not very many people do um, around here. Not many people are certified to do. And that was the first time I had been out of pain in over a year. Um, 
and it didn't last. But I was like, it, it's, it's possible. Like, this is possible. Um, and so I'm like, okay, like, maybe there's a little bit of hope. He had me take, he ordered x-rays and with my neck in full flexion and extension because um, everything else I just had, like, straight up and down profile. Um, and those x-rays found what everybody else missed was that my C3 and my C4 are out of place. They're not broken, but it's like they run in a straight line and then C3 and C4 are over here. Um, and they're only visible though in flexion extension, which is why none of the other images had ever picked it up. But so that was like some light, um, that was a piece of the puzzle. But then he's like, something still is adding up here. Um, and you're inconsistent more than anything. Like all of your symptoms are really inconsistent. And so he started testing for an upper motor neuron lesion, which is an injury to the nerve um, as it leaves the brain and goes to the spinal cord. Everybody else had only looked for lower motor neuron lesions where the nerve like leaves the spinal cord. And that was like the one thing that kept that consistent. And so he ordered an MRI on my brain and my or neck. He didn't tell me he was actually really afraid of head and nuts, um, which actually does run in my family. Um, but he kind of kept that to himself. He's like, oh, we're just going to do this like for your piece of mind. And lo and behold, I go in uh, the day that he's got like the images ready to like read. And he's like, come here, come here, like sit down. I got to show you something. Okay, and uh, he starts flipping through them. And he's like, you see this? And it's a, it's a like a white mark because they've done it with contrast. And He's like, you had a brain hemorrhage. And I was like, no shit. Um, and because of the area, it, it was right over my, the anterior cerebral artery. Um, but with where it is, he was able to kind of, we worked backwards, we pieced together. Um, Cause like my personality changed all through that. Um, like I had been pretty like, uh, I'm not going to say like life at the party, um, but I had been outgoing more so. And I was like borderline inclusive. Uh, like everything was, and then the anxiety, um, everything, like my hands not working. Um, we pieced it together and he's like, this explains almost everything. And he's like, you know, there's no like real cure for it, but we can rehab a lot of this stuff. Um, and I had been doing physical therapy. Like I said, I get a lot of work done, body work done um, for its own reasons. But that was a big part of actually like being able to reconnect to like my hands and stuff, be able to move um, and do what I do. Um, but I just remember actually feeling hope for the first time in a while that day. And like, okay, I'm not crazy. Like something did actually happen. Um, but yeah, that was the state was like, you know, you said, oh, you discounted it. Well, I, I don't know that I discounted it. I didn't know what it was or what, that it was there or how bad it was. Um, and I went through almost the entire fire academy, not knowing what it was. I was, I think I was already in ENT school when I found that out. Um, so yeah, I went through that whole thing, knowing that something was wrong with me, but not knowing what it was. So what do you do once you find out? What's the, what's the rehab? How, how does how does he help mitigate that? Um, actually, we've been able to stay on top of it with chiropractic. Um, like I said, I was on some medication. Um, the 
SSRI med um, that I was on for depression actually did have an effect on physical pain, um, kind of doling it, if you will. Um, and I got off of that last year um, for other, I just, I didn't want to take it anymore. Um, and that's a whole other rabbit hole to go down. Uh, yeah, we won't talk about how you, how you got off of it because it's not the prescribed method. Yeah, no, it was definitely, I would not recommend that in retrospect, but it is what it is. Um, we've stayed on top of it with the body work, with the uh, actual manipulation from the chiropractic. Um, my, one of the coaches that I work with right now, um, he does what's called reflexive performance, um, RPR. And um, it's like a trigger point. Basically, like if your muscle is like a light bulb and your nervous system is the light switch, um, it makes sure that the switch is on. Um, Because if it's not, if it's the bulb is not turning on, then it's a bulb issue. You know, it's, I don't know how else to really describe it. Um, But it's like voodoo, like it's wild. Um, And it's not stuff that you would like think um, is connected, but everything is connected. Um, So between that, a lot of connective tissue work. Um, We were talking about uh, before we started recording um, piano. I played since I was five. And um, that was having to relearn how to do that because my hands weren't working uh, was incredibly frustrating, but I think that was actually really good for me. Um, Made a big difference. Um, A lot of uh, like stem, like tins, uh, electric, there's, there's a, I mean, it almost looks like a teaser. Um, and I want to say it's called like a Avasi or a or something. Um, and one of the physical therapists that I saw, she would actually do it to my head. Sounds really weird. Uh, but it had something new and it would like beat, like when it would connect with the nerve, um, like whenever it would find it. Um, and that was helpful for like actually being able to like seal my arms and feel my hands again. Cause like it was all, it was traveled down. Uh, but that, I would say the body work has actually been probably the most instrumental thing uh, of everything. Just actually being able to feel, um, connect back with that, feel it work through stuff as it comes up. Um, but get on paint to like, try to get everything functioning as optimally as it can. Um, I do, I do a lot of heat, um, like sauna, uh, ice baths and alternating between the two. Um, that's been really helpful. Um, it's not the most pleasant, <laughs> but, and I didn't discover that until probably last year or so. Um, that's a big two, but just working through all the mental stuff. And like I said, talk therapy was decently helpful. EMDR was pretty helpful. Um, but just having to sit with like the discomfort as it comes up, you know, and as it relates back to all these different experiences, uh, you know, that's, that's not, it's not for the faint of heart, but it's like, you can feel it, like, as you work through it, as you process it and work to let it go, you can actually feel it like leaving you. It's really bizarre. And it sounds really hokey to actually say out loud. Um, But it's a whole, it's a whole picture thing nothing is isolated you know physically mentally at all it's all worked together 
I don't, I don't really, I'm trying to rack my brain and see if there's anything else like particularly significant. And it's just fine too. It's been almost three years since that happened. It's fine. So you said that you went through the academy. Fire academy, yes. And last time we talked, you hadn't, you hadn't gotten a job as a firefighter yet. How's it work in Texas? Um, so in Texas, you have to have at least EMTB to be a firefighter. Um, most places will hire paramedic preferred. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that is the hurdle I am running into right now. Um, because I would prefer to get hired as an EMT. Um, just because I, A, I just want to coach. Um, but also to actually learn, learn the job. Cause I mean, the only thing I know is how much I don't know. Um, and you get a little bit of exposure um, in the academy during write-outs, clinicals, what have you. Um, but I'm like, I need to see it and actually do it. Um, and so that's the hurdle I'm running into now with paramedic preferred. Um, for a long time, though, for the first year and a half, uh, coming out of the academy and coming out of EMP, it was the physical stuff. Um, I could not pass a PAT to save my life. And so some of that, was me needing to confront um, how much I needed to step it up in the gym um, and just physically. And I think some of it too was mental. Um, Last, about this time last year, last like Memorial Day or so, um, I did MRSH with one of my friends um, and I didn't struggle. I mean, I was like, this, this should be easier than it is. Um, and I think like my cardio, I hate running. I hate distance running. I suck at it. I hate it. Um, and, but just like, just like anything else, I feel like having a second set of eyes to see things more objectively, um, to maybe see the parts that you're missing is pretty important. And I mean, that's, I mean, that's the entire principle behind like coaching strength conditioning is I can see what you can't because I am outside. Um, but uh, Jason kind of took it upon himself to get me ready. And so we would meet up just about every A shift after he would get off because he was C shift and we would go for a run or do he basically anything that I heated, um, that was what we were doing. And that was for my sake, physically, but also mentally, because I had some, I had some barriers I needed to break through. Um, I had, I don't know, specifically the voice in my head say, you can't, you can't, you can't, or you're not good enough, or you're not strong enough. So you're not, because I mean, I'm, I am a tiny white woman, like, and I'm having to do the same shit that 250 pound guys are doing. And I needed to kill that voice. And so we did that on, like, there was one day we were running through a pretty hilly neighborhood. It was hot outside. I was struggling. I did not want to be there. And I was making sure that he knew it. Um, and he was like, hey, you need to shut that shit up right now. And for whatever reason, like, after he said that and actually, like, had the guts to say that and just call call me out, um, my life got way easier. But... Or the physical was definitely the challenge coming out of Fire Academy. Cause like I said, like I made it through. Um, but there was definitely more that I could have done to prepare. Um 
and then to stay on top of it after I got out. And so I finally turned a corner like with the physical stuff um, to where I could do it. Um, like I, I could do it, but I don't think mentally I was had quite like caught up to physically. And so that was what I ran into last time testing um, for actually the department that I am going to work for um, was physically because I had taken the test before. I got a little bit further each time. And then I got to the end. I actually went too fast. I went too hard and I just ate shit, um, blacked out, ate shit. Uh, but after that kind of mentally, it was like something happened that day. Um, and that was actually when I ran into like, what just happened? Like all the, this entire circumstance, all these people around me, what just happened here? And that was when I ran into, hey, your world just turned from black and white to color. And like, that was the day I remember that actually, um, that my mom had even said that because I'd forgotten that for years. But uh, mentally, like I needed to sit with a lot of stuff that I had been avoiding and I don't even think consciously but I needed to do that um and that was that needed to happen before I could go in there um and do what I need to do and so in retrospect like it's really weird because like you see you see what's in front of you and especially if it's something that is at you know tough tough shit it's really hard to see past that or see outside of it or to look at it objectively. But I'm like, holy shit. Like, I know now, or at least I'm starting to, like, why all these things have been happening, like, the way that they have. And, like, even just leading up to whether it's, you know, childhood stuff, you know, autoimmune trauma, what has you, all of that stuff needed to happen to be where I'm at right now. And I needed to not just think that, I needed to not just feel that I needed to know that and I know that so that being said where would you say you're at like mentally physically anything uh, process oh I uh, I am happy and some of that comes down to just the getting rid of anything that I don't possibly need um, but I'm, I don't even know that happiness is the right word because happiness is fleeting and we're not, we're not here. We're not here walking around on a giant rocker going through space to be happy. I am peaceful. That's a good way to put it because I've had that conversation with people about happiness. Happiness is a, is happiness is, is a product of something like content or peaceful. And I think, and people, people miss the difference too between happiness and joy and happiness is, you know, sunshine and rainbows, everything's going your way. Life is good. Joy, content, peace is I'm good. Even if like the world is falling apart around me, I'm good. And that's kind of, I think I needed to get there before I could do anything else, before I could go do my job and do it well. Um, but even like I was telling you that actually this is really coincidental timing. Um, we're sitting down to record this because all these years later, I don't have like PTSD stuff when I'm awake anymore. Like I don't get triggered, but I do still occasionally have night terrors. 
And actually the last one I had was back in April and I had one Saturday, um, first time in a long time. And the recurring theme with those across time has been, I don't have a voice. And so in my dream, I'm trying to say something, trying to say something. No sound is coming out. I'm trying, trying, trying. And then when sound finally does come out, I'm screaming and that point of but, but over time I've learned like not just that, just to, like get up and move. If it's really bad, I'll get up and breathe. Um, like I'll go ahead, it might be 2 a.m. I'll go ahead and start making coffee. I'll get up and read a book. Um, but sitting, I was sitting here right, right where I'm at right now, actually on my living room floor, uh, Saturday night into Sunday morning. And as like rattled as I was, it was okay. It was okay because I know it's part of it. And I'm like, I'm still here. Like, this is a reminder that I'm still here, that I made it out of that. And I made it out of that because there's still something left to do. There's still something left to give. And I choose to believe that that's hope. Um, you know, big, I think the big overarching theme of my life would be hope. But it was weird being able to just be weirdly at peace, like with the fact that, you know, okay, like this is, no, this is not fun. This is not pleasant. This is not anything I would wish on anybody else. Um, like I never want to, I want to tear my insides out every time I think about like that feeling waking up and not being able to make a sound. Um, this is, it's paralyzing, but I'm like, it's okay. Um, like I'm weirdly at peace with that. And I think I needed to get there um, before I could do anything else. But usually, usually when I get out and I start reading or if I am going through like a particularly stressful chapter in life, um, I've got my like favorite books that I go back to. And one of them is actually C.S. Lewis. Um, it's a really obscure, more obscure one. It's a Grish observed. It's basically his diary or his journal rather, as he's like grieving and processing the death of his wife. Um, she died of cancer. He married her knowing she was going to die. Um, it's, it's, it's a whole big thing. I'll start crying if I go too far into it. But every time I read that book, there's something to get out of it. There's like an Easter egg of some kind. And uh, the one that I always come back to is he's like, you know, I didn't need to be tested. God didn't need to test me. Um, all these things didn't have to happen to challenge me to try me so that God or anybody else could know what I was made of. He's like, he already knew. He already knew exactly what I made of. He goes, I did. And that's the point that I'm at in my life. I'm like, okay, all this shit had to happen. Not for anybody else to know, like even just thinking about, uh, you know, going back to sitting out on that bench um, with Cope, like he didn't, he already knew. He already knew. I didn't know. And the fact that he knew was enough to get me through that. Because I'm like, okay, there's days when I don't feel like I've got it in me, but I know he thinks I can do it. So I'm going to do my best. But all of this stuff doesn't happen. You know, we have to, we have to find it in ourselves. So it's like cheesy as that sounds. And that's been now that like the physical is in check and the mental side is like starting to be in check, that's been kind of the conclusion I've arrived at is 
all this stuff, everything that has ever happened didn't happen for any reason other than I needed to know what I'm made of and that, you know, hard shit comes my way. I can handle it and it's not fun, but there's nowhere else to be. There's nothing else to be doing. So it's good. That's a, it's definitely the way to look at it, you know? What, what else are you going to do with it at that point, right? You, you're not going to wallow in it. Yes, you can wallow. You can feel sorry for yourself. You can throw a pity party. You can get up and move. You know, you can get up and move. You can do something. Um, even if that's just, okay, what is the next right thing, however small, that I can do that's going to get me to my goal, that's going to get me where I want to go, um, you know, or that's... I don't know, it doesn't even have to be that concrete. Um, like pulling myself out of that yesterday, because um, every time that happens, I always get in the funk. And I remember I was actually crying my spot rack yesterday just because it was like overwhelming. And I just kept like replaying it in my mind. Um, but I got home and I was like, you know what? I've got yard work that needs doing. I've got like weekend chores that need doing. Um, and so you can absolutely, it doesn't make it, it doesn't mean that the hard days are hard. But you can absolutely pull yourself out of that. And nobody else can do it for you. Like, you have to be the one to do it. But you absolutely can. And the minute that you realize you can, you, you know that and you carry that with you. So the next time that happens, the next time, you know, life throws you a curveball, the next time something unexpected happens, you know, you're not hinging on your happiness, if you will, on, oh, well, everything perfectly and if it doesn't well then i'm just gonna sit here and throw a pity party no like you can say be happy but you can you can feel peaceful and you can navigate it well knowing that you have absolutely everything to do that already you just have to decide that that's what you're going to do doesn't mean it's hard but if you're if you're lucky you've got people around you that will remind you even on the days you don't think you've got it in so you kind of beat me to the punch when you mentioned the books you, you rely on. And uh, <laughs> I'm still going to ask you, and, I, and now you've taken one out of play, I suppose. Um, you know the, you know the final two questions I ask people because we went over them. Um, yes. I'm going to ask you about your everyday carry, though, first. So is there an everyday carry that you have that you uh, feel naked if you leave the house without? No, I don't think so. I've got... It doesn't have to be physical either. For me, it's usually physical. I actually have a note on my fridge. Do you have your keys? Do you have your wallet? Like, I will forget. Um, Do you still have those manifestations of the of the head injury? Um, like physical? No, like that. Where you forget the keys, you forget your wallet. Is that just natural thing, or is that from the from the injury? Um, some it's hard to tell anymore. Sometimes I can feel it if I'm particularly kind of. Especially if there's been like a prolonged period of stress, um, my nervous system kind of feels like strict wiring mm. and starts feeling like that. I start getting a little bit more forgetful or foggy. Like I can tell, and I think it's just inflammation, just like anything else. I mean, neuroinflammation, what have you. Um, I really don't have that many anymore. I still, I struggle with balance a little bit. Um, I struggle if I'm particularly stressed, I'll get really nervy, um, like on my left side, working up overhead, especially. Um, but 
honestly, like I, I would go so far as to say I'm back in a hundred percent functioning at least as well. It's not better than I was before. Um, sometimes I'll still get the speech thing. Um, but it's not like all the time and it's not, it'll just be like a blip here and there. And that's pretty, pretty uh, rare. Um, I gotta be like really stressed out for that to happen. But no, I'm, I've been very fortunate in that I, and you know, like you were saying, you know, not, not everybody is, you know, as fortunate or as lucky to make it out of some of the stuff I have. I know that there's people that, you know, haven't maybe had as easy time recovering as I have. Um, so I'm, I'm very fortunate um, that day to day, it really doesn't bother me anymore. Well, l- let me ask you this then. And, and I keep forgetting, cause I want to do this with people. I, I, and I keep forgetting to put it at the beginning as a kind of an icebreaker. What's the last song you listened to? It was actually that Southall album. Okay. That we were talking right. That Moon and Back song. That was the last thing that I listened to. Um, I was driving back actually from the chiropractor this morning. It was on, uh, but I've been on a Patty Griffin kick lately. Okay. Um, and I don't really know why. Um, Stolen Car, which is actually a Springsteen cover, um, but she, I think she sings it better. Um, that's that's one of my favorites when I'm outside on my porch contemplating the bigness of the universe. <laughs> it is very large. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and I mean it's it's so wild because you're like, man. To be on this earth at this time, in the same time, in the same place with all the people I am, it's pretty nuts. Um, pretty cool. But no, that Southall album was the last thing I listened to. Um, Just to let people know, that album is Six String Sorrow. And it's, uh, I think I've listened to it four times in the last five days. That's awesome. Yeah. So awesome. I, it's, it's, it's a really good album. It's a good one. Yes. All right. What about, uh, what about a book? Give me a book. But. Um, I don't remember. I think the last like new book that I read was the 5am club by Robin Sharma. That's a good one. Um, I have, I have what I call my frequent flyers, mm-hmm. um, which a grief observed by Lewis, um, the strenuous life by Teddy Roosevelt. And uh, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Um, that book, that book was hard to read. I had to like open and shut it a few times because it was basically, I was like, this is going to shatter my perception of reality and I don't want it to, mm. which ironically is exactly what happened. But I had to stop that one because it was really agitating. Um, but then I went back and read it actually through the filter of Lewis. Um, I can't remember which book it is that he says it, but he goes, you have a body, you are a soul. And so to go back and read the untethered soul, like through that filter made it make sense. Um, but that's a good one just to remind, like nothing is permanent. Everything, everything passes through. We don't have to take things on. We don't have to internalize. It doesn't mean we won't, but the the more you can just step back and observe the world around you. He talks about like the voice in your head. He's like, the voice in your head is like, I need to call here and I need to pay bill or do this, that. It's like, if you actually like verbalize all that stuff, you'd be like, this person's 
nuts. Like if it was a person sitting on the couch next to you, you'd be like, that's for sake. Um, and just like learning how to just observe the world around you and like not, I don't know, distance yourself from your own emotion processes. Um, that one has been really, that one's been really instrumental in kind of working through the physical stuff as it's come up over time and like processing it, actually letting it go. So those would probably be, those are my most frequent reads. Okay. But the 5am club was really good. I was expecting it to be like a self-help and it's actually, it's a story. Uh, It's just, it's, it's pretty profound, but not in like a mind blowing way like in a really subtle way i don't really know how to describe it um, and who was the author of 5 a.m 5 a.m club uh, again robin sharma okay well i will add i'll add the frequent flyers and the 5 a.m club to show notes when we get to to the episode release how about that perfect hey this has been great i appreciate it absolutely i appreciate it thank you like and- i said i don't like down here i'm like i don't know what i what i have to say but thank you for helping me out. well hopefully no. you, you didn't find it to be a waste of your time no not at all not at all it's been it's been great i appreciate the opportunity thank you of course keep the music coming too yes absolutely we'll do all right go go enjoy the rest of your day me too thank right, you take care and we're out thanks for listening to another episode of the things we all carry Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.